from the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hey, everybody. It is Masonic Light Podcast, episode number 156. 156. No, 100. One, oh, I, I'm, I, I didn't do my, my Blue Lodge right. Lodge 156. Right, except Got this it. is episode number 156. I don't know where I'm at. I know. That's <laughs> We're off to a rip-roaring start, start here no. tonight. We are... <laughs> Totally packed here in the studios. Jack is uh, MIA tonight. He's doing a program uh, elsewhere, but we have a studio full. We have Josh. We have Larry. We have our old friend Seth Anthony as guest host tonight. We have our guest tonight, Brother Doug Hitz, who's a past master at Eureka West Shore Lodge number 302. One of the best lodges around, I think. But would you agree? Oh, I would totally agree. Okay, great. I might not. With, that's with, good with an, since we're both in the same watch. <laughs> on a number of key metrics. <laughs> yes, on a number of key metrics. That's right. We have uh, Brother Larry Hudson, who is past master of Lamberville, Lambert, no, Millersville Lodge. Millersville Lodge. You all have got me all screwed up. And Lamberton, what do you want? Yeah, that's what yeah, I said, he's, he's past past Lamberville. He's of Lamberton be, be, and Millersville. Yeah. That is all. Oh, that's right. Lamberville. Yeah. That's right. He was the... First master of the Merge Lodge. That's right. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Great, glad to have you with us, Brother Larry Griffith from uh, uh, Millersville Lodge. Also, good to have you with us tonight. And past, past master. master. And past master. And as I understand, MSA recipient. Yes, I am. Great, awesome. And Josh, who makes this magic work. Um, good to see you tonight. Hi. Hey. So. Um, we're going to begin just a little bit differently tonight. Um, m- many of us were in attendance at uh, our good buddy Pete Ruggieri's memorial service just a couple days ago. And so um, we definitely want to get just some thoughts uh, on that before we start going around the horn on other things. So, uh, Larry, why don't you start us? Why don't you uh, give us your thoughts? <clears throat> it, was a, it was a fantastic service the uh, masonic funeral was extremely well done we were talking about that in the car on the way up and how well you did it larry you really did you did amazing really but pete (laughs) was with us that day yes he was um barry banks is singing oh danny boy fantastic barry banks from the metropolitan opera in new york a worldwide uh, Grammy uh, nominated Grammy nominated opera singer who travels all over the place doing concerts. I mean, the man is phenomenal. He's singing "Danny Boy" and my phone rings. <laughs> that's, that's a Pete, that's a, Pete that's calling. A, that was Pete that's calling. a Pete moment. Uh-huh. And it but here, here's here's another thing. 
Larry opens up the funeral kit and sees that the collar and the jewel aren't there. And, Larry. Oh, I know. No. You had one job. It was a one. Second, you had one job. A second Pete moment. Now, he would have loved everything that happened Absolutely. that day. It was fantastic, but it was a great service. It was uh, Joey Doggerty came in from Los Angeles. He's a two-time Grammy Award winner, by the way. That's yeah, true. And uh, did a did did a beautiful melody, and it was it was a great day. It was a great day. It really was. It really was. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, a real testament to Pete when you looked at the caliber of people who were there. And on a serious moment, you see you know actives in the Scottish Rite, Supreme Council officers from Grotto, folks from all over the Masonic world, especially here in Central Pennsylvania, but but nationally, who Pete had an impact on, whether it was through this podcast or through his unique sense of humor and his brand of just being Pete. Those were all guys that he made some kind of impact on, and it was a testament to his life's work and what he did while he was amongst us to have that moment. Um, but he definitely would have had a 15-minute rant on the fact that that collar was missing and then, like, how we screw up Masonic funerals. That's the one thing we need to do right. Totally a Pete moment. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I just want to say one thing, too, and I don't mean to butt in on your – but the, the brothers from Azim Grotto came down, and they were well represented, and what a fantastic grotto that is. And thanks, Barry Banks and Victor and, and all you guys that showed up. It was a true testament to your – your love of Pete. Really yeah, it was. And uh, I have, there's three Larrys in the studio tonight, so we're going to totally get this screwed up tonight. But uh, Larry Hudson, you did a fantastic job on the delivery of that funeral service. Um, I mean, you, you were in this gigantic auditorium and – you know, and and unmiked. I don't know that that mic was close enough that it was going to pick you up, but everybody in there could hear you, which was good. Here, here. And you were spot on. You totally were. Thank you. Um, and it was awesome to see that many Masonic brethren lined up along the side uh, to come and pay respect. Except when they lined up and then they moved when they shouldn't. Have well, and you, you know, the another peep moment. So. There's well, yeah. There, we're, we're not. We could do. Who's a whole, in charge of this funeral? We could do a whole episode on that part, but. <laughs> Did you have enough gloves? Can I, mean, can, can I say one more thing? Because as we go on, I, I remember things. And the, the, the funeral, the Masonic funeral part was handled so well. Well done. And then Larry comes down off the stage. Oh, my god! And gets in front of Stephanie, kneels mm. down before he starts crying. She starts crying. We start Tim crying. Tim starts crying. <laughs> it was a moment that was absolutely beautiful. It really was. And I will say that. It really it was. It really, really was. It, it set the pace. Until we all got in the stage from the podcast, and that ended everything. It kind of ended so, everything. Worst roundtable at a funeral ever. <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> Larry, since you were the conferring master of that, you have any thoughts you want to add? No, I was just... Honored to be there. I mean, Pete, I knew him and Larry from um, working at Verizon, and you know, Pete was amazing back then. Uh, he was he had such so many good ideas that the company you know enjoyed. And at that time, was that the team leader at the time? Yeah, he, he was. He became my boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before that, Larry and and Pete were in their corner. They had to break them up at one point because they were just having too much fun I'm sure. back there. But they were getting their work done. Work done, but we were just having too much fun. Yeah, but I was really honored to be. It's just amazing to see all those brothers come out there, 
Because it's, it's hard to get brothers to come out to things. Really hard. And especially on a Sunday. Sunday especially funerals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, for everybody that wasn't there, you, you really missed something spectacular. Yeah. yeah. And in Pete's honor, there was a tailgate party in the parking lot. Oh, that was afterwards. the best. Absolutely. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was nice. <laughs> Brother Larry Griffith, you have any thoughts that you want to share? Let's get up close to that mic. That was one that I did miss, um, family issues with health uh, from my wife. And uh, I really wish I had been there because I've known Pete ever since he got into the lodge. And uh, the other two Larrys that are here, um, we also uh, would get together for breakfast on Thursday mornings a lot of times. And it was very enjoyable. So, uh, Pete will be missed. He will indeed. Josh, how about you? Uh, I thought it was a a wonderful service. It was a wonderful celebration of Pete. And, uh, you know, all the things that that we're talking about, yes, he would have had a gripe about. uh, But, I mean, (laughs) yeah. You know, there there was a reference to tea bags at the end that we all had a lot of fun with. Um, as some of you may not know, but Teat was a connoisseur of fine teas, and the what did what was the celebrant? The celebrant, celebrant. Um, who Pete would have had a fit over that. Just anyway, but um, introduced tea bags to the group, and so um, yeah, um, that was a great way to honor our good friend. Indeed. All right, so let's get this train back on the rails here. Uh, What have we been doing Masonically over the last couple of weeks? Well, I'll start to give you guys a chance to kind of get your stuff together. Um, Probably most notably recently was last Saturday, uh, the Valley of Harrisburg, the big Valley of Harrisburg, uh, held a Kentucky Derby event uh, that was well attended. Uh, There was... uh, a lot of uh, great fellowship that went on. Um, we all got to watch the Derby. There was some. Uh, there was an interesting uh, Derby race that was kind of created there in house. Uh, that was a lot of fun for folks. Um, it was just. It was a great afternoon of Masonic fellowship. Uh, prior to that, uh, Doug uh, was actually our guest was part of this. But last Thursday. Um, several of us conferred the Royal Arch degree on 13? Mm-hmm. Yes, 13. Right. 13 uh, <laughs> worthy brethren who had been regularly entered, passed, and raised, and et cetera, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. which was great. We did that at the Carlisle Masonic Center, um, and we had a great uh, afterglow. Well said. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Larry. Yes. Larry number one. Yes. I was debating what you would call three or more Larrys yeah, in a single I'm place. I'm not getting I believe into what the, we, uh, we can't them. go for our official name. No. I believe that's a stooge no. of Larrys. It's, it's, it is. It's definitely a stooge you of Larrys. We, we should we go for our official name. No. no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, there's a story there. Yeah, we are not going there. <laughs> no. Larry Maris, what All have you been doing? There you go. Well, I did not make lodge meeting. What? Last Tuesday. I know you didn't make lodge meeting. You didn't make lodge meeting. So oh, no, I didn't, was, make, I didn't make oh, lodge did. meeting. Uh, the other Larry yeah. made lodge meeting. <laughs> he uh, made lodge meeting. Yeah. I can confirm that both Larrys were there. But 
Both Larrys were there? Both Larrys Both. were there. You weren't there, were you? He was senior, yeah. he was senior you were warden. Yeah. They drafted me into a chair. You were the oh, only Larry yeah. missing. Oh, so you, really? One Larry short of a stooge. That's right. Well, Wednesday, executive <laughs> board meeting for Tall Cedars. Larry and I were there. The other Larry. Larry Griffiths. And on Thursday, we had the Goose and Gridiron breakfast, which we had to switch locations because the normal place that we were closed. Uh, no. Not for any reason other than they're getting a new pizza oven, they had to shut the place down. Oh, so it was just a weekly so within, close down. Within five oh, okay. hours' notice, we had, what, about 10 guys at breakfast the following day. So Goose and Gridiron is very well organized. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's see. Uh, Memorial service. Uh, been doing a lot of work for Tall Cedars, uh, a lot of legwork, a lot of clerical work. But other than that, that's that's what I've been doing. Seth, well, my my last two Masonic weeks have been a lot of Royal Arts chapter. I was at the the conferral with Tim and Perseverance Twenty One had a meeting the Monday before that. We did have a meeting of Donegal Church Assemblage of the Operatives that Tim was absent from. Yes, I was. He, he did not get advanced to the second degree, yeah, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll fix that coming coming shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had a good day that day. And then my life is allied Masonic degrees and all things otherwise. After having driven the office from Oklahoma to Pennsylvania in a in a U-Haul without cruise control for 20 hours. We could do a podcast on that trip. Uh, on that whole trip. Yeah, there's a lot of dead armadillos in Missouri. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Uh, but that's that's the other thing that keeps me super busy these days. So no, no complaints. No, great. All right, Brother Doug. So I was actually part of the move-in crew. You were. I appreciate your the... back in labor. Yes. <laughs> I, I liked it being just labor, quite frankly. <laughs> but yeah, so we helped move that stuff into the second floor of the... Scottish right up in Harrisburg? Sort of the second floor. We had to go up three floors to go down eight steps. So it's like two and three quarters, two right. and a half? Just enough to make filing cabinets painful to go down those steps. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. But that, that refrigerator truck did make life easier. Doug has the long arms required to move a refrigerator truck down steps. We learned that. Yeah. We did it in shifts. It was all good. We did it. But no, and then let's see here. A couple weeks ago, we actually visited. I actually visited Millersville Lodge and got to see... Uh, that fine building, which was great because that's uh, the town of my alma mater, and it was great to be at Lodge with Larry and Larry. And then, but not yeah. Larry, but not Larry. <laughs> this is going to go on the whole show. Folks. You might want to just strap in. Just strap in. Yeah. And then, um, and then, yes, last week I actually was one of the candidates that received the Royal Arch degree. You were the exemplar, no? I was actually one of the exemplars. Yes. Is everybody in this room a Royal Arch Mason? No. What did you think of it? I liked it. Good. No, I, and I would say to anybody that's been through Blue Lodge, um, strongly encourage you to go and continue that journey in York Wright, you know, going through chapter. Um, I'm a guy who really, really likes the ritual mm -hmm. in Blue Lodge, and so the stuff in, in chapter is right up my alley. Cool. It was really nice to actually sit through those to, you know, and be the exemplar in two of the three degrees. So that was really great. Great. I remember Josh going down in the hall that night. Shh. Not all of our listeners are Royal Archmasons. They have no clue what I'm talking about. I know. <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, it was great. It was a good experience. Great. Highly recommend. Larry Hudson. Yes. Well, uh, the only thing I did was our state at meeting the first Tuesday of every month. And I was with uh, Uncola, Larry. <laughs> and I was with my brother, Doug. Uh, but W. Larry wasn't there. <laughs> no, we're not going there. 
We're not going there. <laughs> was B. Larry there? Keep your oh B. Larry. Keep your was finger on the dump there. button over there, Josh. Larry and Larry. <laughs> and then we had the um, the rusty nail degree. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was very good. That right. was one of the main reasons I didn't show up. I couldn't sit through another. A <laughs> lot, lot, lot of flat tires You've conferred in the, the rusty nail made. degree, Larry. Huh. You've conferred the rusty nail degree. Yeah, but I, I wasn't in the mood for that. Okay. <laughs> Larry Griffith, how about you? What have you been up to? Well, I've been uh, put as chairman for the uh, Children's Dyslexics uh, uh, Center in Lancaster. And we're, again, trying to do some fundraising um, so we've got a uh, sub-sale that's um, c- going to be going on, a few other things. Uh, we're doing pretty good because it costs us about well, $6,000 per student, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have to pay a cent of that. Uh, that's for children that have dyslexia. And uh, so my position is not to teach because I couldn't teach them <laughs> anything. Uh, <clears throat> my job is to try to set up some fundraising. So... Uh, I represent the uh, Lodge of Perfection at that, and that's what's been keeping me busy, that and my wife's health. So. Lodge of Perfection, known by many as the best line in Scottish Rite. So. They may be perfect, but they're not wise. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, how about you? Uh, I skipped the rusty nail degree, and uh, that's about it been working you've been doing this show been doing the show yeah. yeah i saw a few brothers that haven't been to lodge lately and we've been talking about making an invasion at millersville but if i can get off work i'll do it and he's been strapping duct tape on our computer here trying to hold it together until we get a new hard drive yep which should be in sometime this week all right well before we take our first break we just want to say a special thank you to our patrons on patreon we want to thank you for supporting this and uh you too can be a patreon supporter by contributing as little as one dollar a month one dollar there it is boy. for only one dollar a month you can become a patreon supporter by going to masonic light podcast no Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Masonic Light Podcast. For one dollar. This is why we need to have this in writing. Exactly. For one dollar, you two can help buy a know if that's right. (laughs) I think that's it. I think it's right. Good enough. I think that's right. Uh, You can also follow us on Facebook by looking up Masonic Light Podcast. We have resurrected our Twitter account, so you can follow and comment on our posts at Masonic Light, at Masonic Light. Did and Elon give you a blue check mark yet? We have not gotten a blue check mark from Elon yet. Uh, and we've also resurrected no the um, Instagram account, although... Um, are, are you paid not to post <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. They pay us not to post content. We also want to thank our no. contributing sponsors, uh, business contributing sponsors of Hireman Solomon Cigars, George J. Grovenson, Scott Helm Electric, as well as... Intermezzo by Stephanie. Mm, Yes, chocolate. (laughs) That's right. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come and talk about booze with our guest, Doug Hitz. We'll be right back. Fantastic. Break. (laughs) Why choose George J. Grove and Sons for your next home improvement project? 
At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. back. As we mentioned earlier, tonight's guest is Brother Doug Hitz. Uh, in addition to his role as being a past master of Eureka West Shore Lodge number 302 in Mechanicsburg, he also works for one of our favorite organizations here in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board. Uh, and Doug, what is your role officially, the title, sure. whatever? No, officially my my job title is the Director of Wholesale Operations. And that sounds like a great job to have. Right? Well, I think so. So what do you do in that role? No, so essentially my job is to work with all the licensees in Pennsylvania who sell beverage alcohol. So that's ranging from a grocery store down to the corner bar and making sure that they have access to the products that they want to sell, either buy the glass at a bar or buy the bottle to go at a grocery or convenience store. And I have a team of customer service reps and and a team of account managers who actually do kind of both sides of the of the account management piece? So if if I want my local bar to carry Eagle Rare, how do I make that happen? <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> so let me back up because I have to do something officially. Yes, you forgot this. I did forget. So okay. this is this is the official. Uh, I am not an official representative of the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, and all views expressed are my own there you and go. not that of the board okay there you go attorneys so there we go all right i think i've i think i've satisfied that uh, so how do i get my eagle rare you can ask and pray okay uh, at that point <laughs> yep no <laughs> and also yeah look it's you can ask the bar to get it for you and the, the bar will in turn ask their local store or us and we'll see what we can do. So um, I, I think it's probably a good level set here because a lot of listeners are not from Pennsylvania. And this idea that there is a Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, they're probably going, what the heck well, is this? I, well, I want to get to that. And actually, I wanted to kind of tee sure. Doug up there a little bit for that. But uh, yeah, that, let's talk about a, the Liquor Control Board. Uh, I understand Pennsylvania has a state store structure. Mm-hmm. There are we a do. lot of states <clears throat> that don't. Um, I hear a lot of folks say who live in those states that don't that they really wish glad they're not living in pennsylvania and i hear a lot of pennsylvania residents saying they wish they didn't have one however from my own experiences there are some real advantages to having a liquor control board so as you describe what the liquor control board is and does talk about the advantages that a state has in having a liquor control board sure so again all my personal views yes. and I'll say observations as being a, a board employee for oh my gosh almost 17 years 
it'll be 17 years in June. But um, <clears throat> so let's start about what's what's a controlled jurisdiction versus what's an open jurisdiction. That's probably the best place to start. Um, and that really starts with prohibition. It all leads back to prohibition. <sighs> it, it all goes back 100 years. and Just like everything in a lodge. 100 years ago, right. we exactly. decided this, exactly. and it's not going to change. <laughs> See, there are parallels <laughs> in work and in personal life, right? No. Um, so it really does go back to prohibition. And, you know, if you want me to, I've got some notes on Prohibition and Volstead Act and all that fun stuff. Um, but Doug he, came way too prepared for this podcast with like I, a book of notes. He way overthought this. I, I totally <laughs> overthought it. But I will say this. Uh, in, in all seriousness, if anybody has any questions about Prohibition, how the country got to that point of Prohibition and how we got back out of it, and it, uh, this is my shameless plug. I am not compensated for this in any way. Ken Burns has a three-part series called Prohibition. That's right. I've seen that. And it is really, really good. Maybe we'll get into that later in the but show. But we can get but, back into that later. Yeah. So so after Prohibition, uh, with the repeal of Prohibition, states had a choice on how to manage liquor, wine, spirits, and beer in their state. And essentially, you really only had two options. You could be an open state where – Essentially, you, yes, woo, wonderful. It's, it's, you know, it was, again, every state was allowed to kind of construct their own liquor system within federal guidelines. And some jurisdictions, 17 of which actually in, in the U.S., became control states. So you either had a licensed state or an open state, or you have a control jurisdiction like, the, like Pennsylvania. And, you know, like I said, there's 17 control states in, Pen or in the U.S. We have Pennsylvania, Ohio. West Virginia, Virginia, Utah. And even within control states, they all have kind of different flavors and different shades of what a control state does and what they manage. Uh, in Pennsylvania, we actually have a three-member board. I'll kind of start from the top on down, if you will. And that three-member board is appointed by the governor, approved by the Senate. And our job is to essentially regulate beverage alcohol in Pennsylvania and the way Pennsylvania chose to do this way back when was to also function as the wholesaler and the retailer of wine and spirits in Pennsylvania. So beer is completely private, uh, where the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board licenses beer folks. But for wine and spirits, we actually buy it from the supplier, wholesale it, and then we retail it through a network of about 575 retail stores. So if you think about it, the Liquor Control Board is a $3 billion business smack dab in the middle of state government. You know, we have two major distribution centers, one in Philadelphia, one in Allegheny County. We have, like I said, 574 retail stores, uh, 13 licensee service centers. We ship something in the neighborhood of 18 million cases of beverage alcohol every year. Um, we have two wonderful warehouses that um, – Every time we do, we give tours of those facilities. Everybody, Tim's smiling because you'll walk in and there's eight hundred thousand cases of wine and spirits sitting in that warehouse at any given time. And uh, you know, if, if you like to drink, you kind of think you just went to heaven. Mm -hmm. 
because it's pallets and pallets and pallets, cases and cases and cases of beverage alcohol. But yeah, so every state got to basically figure out what they wanted to do with liquor laws. And Pennsylvania became a control state. And you know, we actually have some great old pictures in the, in the, in the liquor board archives of the first day of liquor sales at a PLCB state store in the 30s. Oh, wow. Where they still had bars on the windows. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really incredible. And if you like history like I do, you, you, you find those pictures. Um, I was actually cleaning out an office when I, in one of my office moves. And I found an old filing cabinet. And in the filing cabinet, it actually had pricing journals and pricing catalogs from the 1930s. It was like pricing catalog number 34. And it had every listed item that the liquor control board carried. Wow. Had a three-digit you know, PLCB item number, a description, a size, and a price, and it was like two dollars and twenty-two cents for you know for a fifth of whatever. You know, I think that's one of the as a Pennsylvania resident, I think that's one of the benefits of of the state's mm-hmm. system. There, there's lots of things you can say to detract from it. But I think one sure. of the benefits is you know the brand you're going to encounter when you go into a state-controlled store. You know they're going to carry what you like. And you know it's going to be a clean and safe environment because I think we've all been to a state where there's a, a liquor store that is less than savory, perhaps, yeah. is, is the way to put it. But you know when you come to a Pennsylvania state store what to expect, the mm-hmm. brand that there, that's there, and it's a curated experience. And, and while, you, while you might not expect that if you're from a, one of these mm-hmm. other states, it, it really is a benefit here as a resident to know what you're getting into when, when you're looking for a product. Well, also the price. Yeah. It's a consistent price. You're not going to get gouged because you're in Philadelphia versus out in the rural part of the state. Correct. Yeah, that's actually one thing we do have. We have actually called uniform pricing. We so, know that a bottle of Eagle Rare is going to run you about 35 bucks, right? Eagle Rare is actually a little bit more expensive than okay, that. Okay, 40 <laughs> bucks. Not much more. Weller, I think, is Actually, is, is, Blanton's is, is the $63 one. Yeah. Well, but, but, it's, it's, here. but it's the same price in <clears throat> Philadelphia as is it, it is in Tioga County, Erie, or Pittsburgh. And while you may more readily get Blanton's in New Jersey... We'll you have, do you actually have your hand up, Larry? Yeah. While you may so more readily get a bottle of Blanton's in New Jersey, you're going to pay 120 bucks for that bottle. Correct. Well, I thought Larry's had a heart attack. I, no, no. Well, it's too put, early in the episode If I don't put that. my hand up, he'll go. keep going. No, go. Uh, what I wanted to say was... I was nine years old. First time I ever went into a state. He was store. nine years old when the Volstead Act was passed. Exactly. That was. When, was that and, during the Whiskey and I Rebellion? I remember that store <laughs> because you walked in the front door, and there was a long counter, and the clerk was behind the counter. Yes. You asked for what you wanted, and he went back in the shelves and pulled it out. That's the way the state stores were for me for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. They've changed. Now they're fantastic. I mean, you walk in there, they have a wine section. I mean, the marketing, the layout of the stores, the facilities are really fantastic. They really are. It's a pleasure to shop in these stores now. But as a kid, I thought, oh, my word, this is unreal. Scary. Well, I'll say thank you for that because I think there's – there. look, I have, I have a lot of colleagues who take a lot of pride yeah. in designing – the way the the way the stores are set up, the way they envision a person shopping the store, and you know, and we've got a lot of great folks who work in store operations who go to work every day to work in one of our stores yeah. to provide a clean, safe, welcoming environment where they're more than happy to answer any question you have, yep. and they either know the answer or more to the point, they can find somebody who has the answer for well, you see, and get the, it to you. Here's the problem for me: I walk into a store today. Mm-hmm. 
I'm an impulse buyer. <laughs> I go specifically for, say, a bottle of Seagram's. I come out with about seven bottles of everything else. Well, so well, that's fantastic. The displays yeah. and the setup and the way you guys are marketing is really good. No, we, we've got some great folks who do that. And uh, actually, one of my colleagues, um, she works very, very hard to provide that experience for shoppers to come in and, you know, experience, you know, find what you need, but also give you an opportunity to find something that yeah, yeah. might be new to you. Yeah. You know, but, you know, you bring up the counter stores. <sighs> yeah, for those folks who, who are listening not in Pennsylvania, Larry brings up a great point. We used to have something called a counter store where you literally walked up to the counter and the clerk, you know, we had catalogs on that counter and you would flip through the catalog and tell the clerk, I want code 291. Well, back then, code 291 was a fifth of Jack Daniels. Why would anyone want that? But, but the well, I, it, it's a code I ha- it's, it's, it's it's something I've memorized. I mean, the, the, the Sears and Roebuck I'm, of, I, of liquor. <laughs> exactly, it is. I and say then, that because I'm a native Kentuckian. So. You know, and then this person would go one, and you, and you'd go uh huh, and he would walk back, pull the one bottle off, put it on. He'd ring you up, take your money, you walk out with with one fifth of Jack Daniels. Here's the thing: more than one. The stores no, were them, yeah, the stores were always dark. Mm-hmm. They weren't well lit. The guy behind the, behind the counter was scary as hell. He's like a big, oh, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> you know, I mean, they, as a kid, I'm thinking, I don't want to deal here. I mean, I couldn't anyway. You were nine years old when you went in. Yeah, it was nine well, if you were nine, I'd probably be mean still, to you, too. Yeah, exactly. What the hell are you doing there as a yeah. nine-year-old? Yeah, I couldn't buy liquor in Pennsylvania until I was like 16. I, 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 can, I can fondly <laughs> recall uh, going to a, a Grand Commandery event where this, this older gentleman oh, said, I, I'm going to bring some items for the hospitality suite. And he cleaned out his liquor cabinet, and they still had the liquor control seals on them. The tax stamps. The, the tax stamps were still on the bottles, and he was oh. very proud to donate these. I bet. To, oh, to the hospitality suite. And I think that bottle of Seagram's was from like 1977. It was older than I was oh at that gosh. point. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But to your point, we, we've, you know, the store system really has changed from counter stores yeah. to what we call internally a self-service store. Yeah. You know, awesome. and, and we had self-serve. We still have self-service stores. And even today, we have gradations of those self-service stores. We yeah. have standard stores. And, you know, the flagship stores are what we call our premium collection stores. So you could walk into, um, if you drive down the road t- back towards Lancaster, um, the stores or the shops at Belmont, we have a premium collection store there yeah. that really has pretty much full assortment, you know, wines, spirits, anything you could pretty much And what's of. over our head? <laughs> Since we're deep beneath the wine and spirits store. That'd be a standard store. Okay. That would be a great tenant is what's above exactly. our head. Exactly. It is a great tenant. <laughs> It it's is been here for like a hundred years, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The irony isn't lost on me. Exactly. Isn't that incredible? It really isn't. Talk a little bit about the difference between the standard and the premium stores. So it really comes down to assortment, if you will. Um, so one of the things that we do work on from a store assortment perspective is making sure that there is a consistent assortment available that if you walk into just about any store in Pennsylvania, you're going to find your stock and standard items, right? You're going to find... This is going to irritate him. Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, you know, and I could name off a couple other, you know, wine brands, right? You could find Gallo, Woodbridge products. There's going to be standard products that we carry in just about every single store. When you get to a premium collection store, though, we actually expand the selection 
to most of what would be what we consider our listed items, which are our turn items we stock every day. And then we have all these luxury wine and luxury spirits. And this is where we start getting into the vintage-specific wines. And we could have upwards of six, 7,000 different unique SKUs in a single store. So a standard store, um, you know, some of our smaller standard stores have maybe 750 items. And these would be stores that you know, we have in relatively rural areas. And that's probably the other thing about Pennsylvania. We guarantee at least one liquor store in every county in Pennsylvania. So even if you go to, you know, a relatively rural county, like, say, Cameron County. There you go. One, there's at least a store. That, that is the smallest county in Pennsylvania, Cameron County. Cameron so County. A, is it, in, is it in, in Emporium? It is an Emporium. <laughs> the, the county seat of Cameron County. Yep. Look at that. You know, that. Or, or like in Ridgeway. Where, where, in the, Masonic, where the Masonic Elk Lodge in, in Cameron County is in a town of 30. So it's, wow. it's a very small Masonic yeah. Lodge for that county. Well, I bet. How many members in that lodge? About 100. At least, at least that's wow. what I recall, because it serves a very, very broad big footprint area. Okay. And that's not latest numbers by any stretch, but last sure. I saw. Yeah. But yeah, so you know, we serve every single county in Pennsylvania, and you know, we try to give some level of, of, of basic level of service. But you go to a premium collection store, you know, it is a vast array of standard products, but then every, you know, I don't want to say everything else we carry, because we also have an e-commerce store or an e-commerce um, location that stocks even the rarer stuff or the limited selection, you know, because even though we're Pennsylvania and we buy literally over a billion dollars worth of product every year, we still don't get everything that we want in the quantities that we want because there are some products that just, you know, they're limited production items, whether that be bourbon or some other type of product. You know, there are certain wines that a winery might only make a thousand cases of that product. And that's it for their for that vintage year, and they have to decide. Well, where am I going to sell these thousand cases? Am I going to sell them in the continental <coughs> United States? Am I going to sell them internationally? If I sell them in the continental United States, how much do I actually allocate to each state? So, you know, I can tell you that our buyers fight for every single drop they can get, and we bring those in, and then we have to figure out where to put them. So, so I would imagine that's also one benefit of a, a control state is you're buying in much larger quantities than yes. probably some of these these individual reps in other states. So you're probably able to get some level of scale and deal and be able to get things that other states would not be able to get because of the size of the liquor control board. It is. And the other thing is it, it is at least a one-stop shop to come and deal with the PLCB. You know, in other jurisdictions, you might have to deal with one or two, maybe three different wholesalers or distributors in a state. Well, when a winery wants to sell product in Pennsylvania, it's you come to us. We buy it, we, and we send it out to the stores, and we sell it. So there's actually economies of scale for them to actually buy, you know, to sell to us, because it's really, you know, it could be as few as one purchase order to one of our warehouses. It could be two purchase orders, one to each of our DCs. You know, and it's, yeah, it's, on the purchasing side, we do flex a little bit where we can, um, but ultimately on some of those highly allocated products, I don't want to say we wait our turn, but we do, you know, we ask. Sure. We ask before we take directly a, before we take a break, Doug. Yeah, I have one thing to ask, and this is a request. Take it or leave it. Take it to your management. I, <laughs> I would, got a pen. I, would, I got a pen and a notebook. Okay. I would love to see our stores sell CBD gummies <laughs> at a good price. I think we can arrange that eventually. 
probably falls into a different area. It, it says it's the government. liquor control board, yeah, Larry. Right. Wine and spirits stores. Spirits. I know that raises your spirit, but I don't think that's the same <laughs> definition. the wrong kind uh, of spirit. Well. I think we should take a break. <laughs> that's a great time to take a break. And I'll be honest with you. I actually had like an internal over and under on how long it would take us to get to that point. <laughs> Before we do, uh, Larry Griffith has a question. Yeah, well, not really a question. I'm not even writing that one uh, down. I worked in, in uh, West Virginia for a period of time, and we could go to the local grocery store, and they had little mason jars under the counter. Nice, clear. <laughs> yeah, those don't fall under the auspices of the do, liquor control do, board. Doesn't that, fall under that. <laughs> that sounds that sounds a lot like untaxed liquor. <laughs> Billy Bob's I mean, mason jar special. I'm just, we, I'm, we, just I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not going to mention the town, right? You know. we, we had those in Kentucky as well, so. Hey. Uh, yeah, your Elks clubs have them. Exactly. Yeah. All oh right. My. I think we will take yeah. a quick break. Good thought. And we will be back <laughs> with Doug Hits. As far back as the mid-1800s, records exist describing the pre-meaning tradition of brethren smoking cigars during and after gatherings. To this day, the practice of smoking cigars remains very much alive in many lodges. This custom is considered a time for brethren to relax, exchange ideas, and enjoy the simplicity and fellowship that is the very essence of our brotherhood. This is what Hireman Solomon Cigars is all about. Our starting principles are to bring Masonic brethren together in the harmony of a good cigar. Pull up a chair, sit back, light up any of our premium cigars, and enjoy the history. Hireman Solomon Cigars can be found at fine cigar retailers. For a complete list, visit HiremanSolomonCigars.com or check them out on social media to find out when they'll be at a live event near you. Hireman Solomon Cigars is pleased to be the official cigar of the Masonic Light Podcast. And we are back because Larry said I'm allowed to bring us back because he's tired of talking to Tim. Uh, apparently, Larry Larry treats uh, Tim like the ladies in his life. I'm tired of talking to you. That's I'm, right. I'm just done. Exactly I don't want to talk to you anymore and move on. You know, Larry, before we dig back in here, and in fact, I have a message from, from, from a lady. Uh, Dr. Heather Calloway reminded me you have never sent her a signed book. After all the promises you've made for years. I just found the books. In <laughs> yeah. The, we'll believe no, it when we see it. They are in the trunk of my car, and I'm going to get one off to her. F- fantastic. Larry's got things in the trunk of his car There's to send to these ladies. You know what, though? I need her address. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, sure you right. do. All right. So we are officially back. We'll let that, we'll oh let that one ride. Here we go. I love love it. So so we've talked about how it's a liquor control state. Yep. And we have uh, state stores and beer distributors. Yet magically over the last year and a half, two years, maybe a little Mm -hmm. longer, we've seen some liquor type products appearing in gas stations around the state. So if we're a liquor control state, how does my local sheets have prepackaged liquor available by the counter for me to purchase? Actually, you teed this up really well. It's a you're, liquor... You're welcome. I'll take a, a, a cut afterwards. A, a, yeah, okay. <laughs> a percentage of zero is still zero. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, so that is actually a liquor type product. 
So essentially, is this like when I go get ice cream and it's an ice, ice cream, cream product, product, but not ice cream? It's like it's like a processed cheese product. Can right. we have uh, can we have uh, Basil Hayden Dark Rye declared an alcohol like product? product? <laughs> no, okay. no, that's an alcohol product. <laughs> but no, so it's a great question. Um, Fireball and other brands that look like liquor are actually a malt, they're a malt-based alternative. So if you think about it, there's three types of alcohol that can be sold and are, and are regulated in text. It's malt and brewed-based beverages, beer, wine products, fermented beverages, and then you have distilled spirits. Well, everybody knows Fireball is a distilled spirit. It's a whiskey. It's like 66 proof, right? The Fireball at Sheets, if you look at the back, it's a malt-based product, which means Sheets is actually able to sell it because they have a license to sell malt-based product. Trixie. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's... It's a technicality of law. It is a technicality of law. They are they are fully within their right to do it. Um, but like anything else, you know, buyer beware. Know what you're buying. Now I got to read the labels in nah. the gas station. See, literacy, what a what a wonderful thing. Grammar Don't buy your liquor in gas stations. Yeah, that, that's really... Your oh, liquor, your oh, sushi, geez. and your egg salad sandwiches, don't buy those in gas stations. Pete would be very proud of that Yes, comment. he would be. Yes, he would be. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, and that's, you know, we've got over 1,200 grocery and convenience stores licensed to sell wine in Pennsylvania. So, yeah. So it's not actually hard to buy or find a bottle of wine. So you talked about wine. That was a big change for the Liquor Control Board to go to go from it always being in state store to allowing grocery stores. And that's been, what, five, six, seven years now? Since, uh, since August of 2016. Okay. So that's actually the genesis of the, the job I have now. Uh, the job I used to have was the director of planning and procurement, which I used to refer to as the best job on the liquor board because my my bureau actually bought all the booze. So I had a billion dollar spending authority to buy beverage alcohol, which right. I thought was the coolest job in the state. Now, now here's, uh, here's the thing. I lived in South Carolina in Greenville. Okay. I moved in 1976. But 1971 and 72, I could go to a 7-Eleven store and buy beer and wine. Mm-hmm. I go to a buy low grocery store, which was a chain, buy beer and wine. In South Carolina, they had liquor by the drink. Mini bottles for years. But you could go to a store and buy beer and wine. And you had to go to a package store. And when we came to Pennsylvania, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yep. Now, Pennsylvania's ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. Well, let me put it like this. It used to be. But anyway... Uh, it was a shock to move back north. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? The first half of this episode when he Wait. talked about the closed versus the open, open states. That doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> well, so here, here's one of the lines that, you know, if any of my coworkers are, you know, ever listen to this podcast, they'll be like, oh, there's, there's, one of, there's another Dougism. And my, I normally say this is that every state has its own brand of crazy. Yeah. When it comes yeah. to liquor laws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It does. And it, and, it, and it goes back to every state had to make up what they wanted to do about beverage alcohol after prohibition. Exactly. And, you know, and because it was a local decision, every state got to kind of do what they thought was best for their own citizens. So and, it's all versions of crazy. It's 50 different versions of crazy. Because in South Carolina, we had what we called ABC stores. Yep. And they were counter stores. Usually very small operations. Mm-hmm. You walked into the counter, there was a clerk, he went back and got what you wanted. And that was it. All throughout the entire state. But it came to beer and wine, there was hardly any regulation. 
Well, there was. You just didn't see it. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's the other thing is, you know, you go to an open state and people think, well, there's not a lot of regulations there. And I would say, mm, no, there absolutely is. It's just about how that state chooses to regulate beverage alcohol and what type of beverage alcohol yeah. they're trying to regulate. And most retail establishments do a really good job of being compliant with whatever that jurisdiction's liquor codes are. And they do it in such a way that the customer doesn't have to think about it. That's the, because that's their job as a retailer, right? Is to make it easy for the customer to buy and kind of handle all that stuff over to the side because they don't want you to be an expert in the liquor law. They want you to come in. And just like you talked about how our stores are great to walk in, you have one item, but you walk out with eight. Same thing with them. Yep. You know, their job isn't to you know, educate you on the liquor code. It's to say, well, Larry, what do you want to drink? <laughs> <laughs> and and, exactly. and, and you know, get you sorted out. Exactly. So earlier, I yeah. lobbed you a softball, and you yeah, uh, I totally whiffed, swung so, and missed. I did. So, uh, you want to talk a little bit about the numbers that you brought? Oh, with sure. You? Yeah. So, if anybody's interested, this is this is my shameless plug for our annual report, uh, which comes out every year. Hence, annual report, and it's public record, and it's public record. Um, you know, one of the things about the benefits of having a liquor control board is that a we're a hundred percent self-funded. So, if you think of all the government agencies in Pennsylvania, or in most uh, government entities, you know, they're funded by general fund tax revenue. The Liquor Control Board in Pennsylvania is 100% self-funded. So every time, you know, and we're funded by people who drink in Pennsylvania. Amtrak, take note, they're self-funded. Hello, Amtrak. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we pay every single bill, uh, and at the end of every year, we even contribute essentially retained earnings or profit transfer back to the Commonwealth, and you know, the last year it was $185 million. But like, you know, here's some numbers. You know, According to our last annual report, we collected $431 million in liquor tax, $180 million in state and local tax, which just gets you know, sent back to the Department of Revenue or to Philadelphia and Allegheny County. The, the liquor tax just goes right back to the general fund, um, and then those fine folks figure out what to do with it. You know, the other thing is we talk about enforcement of liquor laws in PA. We fully, there's a, an entire bureau within the Pennsylvania State Police called the Bureau of Liquor Control Enforcement. And those, those folks enforce liquor laws in PA. Well, the Liquor Control Board funds them to the tune of over $30 million a year. So we actually, through our revenue stream, we fund enforcement. We also gave $6.6 .6 million in drug and alcohol programs. Uh, I already talked about the $185 million to the general fund. And then we had a $1 million grant to various entities for the wine industry and another million dollars to the beer industry. So it's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that we not only pay our own bills, we give back to the Commonwealth on top of that. So, you know, obviously everybody's got an opinion about the PLCB, and it's not, nobody is like middle of the road. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's face it, nobody's middle of the road. You're either like, you're, you're on one side or the other on that one. But I think a lot of times when you, when you educate people about, okay, look, you know, we are what we are. Mm -hmm. Here's what we do. And here's some of the things that we give back to the Commonwealth. And there is a lot of revenue there not, not, not that, that we push not back Not to in. mention, you know, it's easy to talk revenue, not to mention 
good paying jobs. Correct. With, with the folks who are working in the stores, who, who work for the Liquor Control Board, every mm-hmm. time there's discussion about, well, should we keep the Liquor Control Board or not, a lot of it comes back to straight up employment, that it's a, a great job for oh, yeah. people to have, and that's an opportunity for the state to contribute and, and create a great working environment. Yeah, and we have, I don't have the exact number in front of me here. Your HR department will appreciate that. That's right. Yeah, they will. Uh, you know, but if I look at it this way, oh, shoot, I actually thought I had the, the okay, this is the... When I was working through this, so I was like, I know they're going to ask got me like how many eight guys. Pages notes. I do. Exactly. I do have eight pages of notes. Exactly. Well, you know, this is so this, you talk about being prepared and how to tie this back to Freemasonry, Larry. The answer is show up prepared, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I tried to show up prepared. Here, uh, Doug, we thought Doug was a past master. I know. What? <laughs> Fly by the seat of my pants and smack the gavel down when I need to? That's it. <laughs> so you can't. But, no, but yeah, I mean, we have like over 3,000 employees. You know, whether that's in the stores or in central office. And, you know, to your, to, and all those. Well, well, and here's the thing. Our, th- our two distribution centers, you know, we have a handful of PLCB employees in there, but all those are actually private employees because we employ uh, KLS in Philadelphia and we employ FedEx in Pittsburgh. So those are actually private sector jobs that we contract with those two companies to run our distribution centers. You know, so those are private sector jobs that, again, we fund for distribution purposes but you know we have yeah they're, they're good family you know if you if you kind of hear if you've heard testimony uh through the budget hearings over the last several years you know our chairman makes a, a good point of saying these are good family sustaining jobs absolutely you know they good, uh, good, good, they have state benefits oh yeah so every every single person who works for the state or for the plcb you know, you're a commonwealth employee so you get you know whatever the commonwealth rules are as far as benefits and salary you know, you get those um and again fully self-funded so you may not be able to answer this question and if you can't i will um is this where i didn't i need to prepare to write a question down for chief no, counsel no 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 okay you can, maybe, lean, well, over, I don't know, you can maybe. lean over and whisper to me if you like yeah. oh geez there so what do you believe is one of the greatest learnings that the commonwealth of pennsylvania has learned let's say over the oh i don't know last three years um about um Liquor and sales and et cetera in the state of Pennsylvania. That's a tough one. I'll give you the answer if you don't want to answer it. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll let you answer, and then I'll give you my answer because it's, it's, a, it's a personal one. Okay. I think we all learned a lot during the pandemic. Um, one of the great learnings I think everybody understood very quickly was if you're in about to enter a pandemic where nobody can go do anything, don't close the liquor stores. Because now are you not only dealing with people in isolation, but you got people coming off of alcohol. And uh, the great uh, calming effect that it has on many people, let's just put it that way. Um, and um, I'm not going to talk about the many Smokey and the Bandit runs that occurred uh, Shout across out, the state. Shout out to Mountain Liquors on Route 15, <laughs> Judge South of Gettysburg. Here, here, salute. I'm not going to say anything more about that, but uh, yeah, um, I think we all learned a great lesson. Let the record we're... reflect. I had my forehead against the microphone. Exactly. Yeah. No, he did not say a word about that, and that was okay. Here's what I can say about the pandemic, there and because I can't speak to what others have learned, but what I can say is that. I can tell you that every employee inside the liquor board that I worked with through the pandemic 100% wanted to do their job 
was passionate about doing their job and trying to do it the right way to serve the consumers in Pennsylvania. And I think one of the things that I learned was that there there still is a huge passion to do the right thing by the customer mm-hmm. in folks. And that was really refreshing to see. That really was. So you're talking about doing the right thing. You said you've got a 17-year career with Liquor Control Board, mm-hmm. and you're working in state government. Yep. And, and that, that brings with it positives and negatives, but sure. everything you do is under scrutiny. So how did what you've learned in Freemasonry influence your management and your ability to have integrity in that environment under such scrutiny? So that's a great question. And I think the, the answer is, you know, most of the folks, most of the folks I know at work no, I'm a Freemason. And there is no place to hide. There are no private conversations. And that if you are a person of integrity, you need to be, you need to not only just say the right things, you need to do the right things. And even when you don't do the right things, you know, lose your temper in a meeting, you know, um, you, you go Doug, back. I can't imagine you losing You can't your temper ever imagine me losing my temper. You go back to the people that you probably lost your temper in front of, and this is 100%, and you apologize because that's what people of integrity do. And you understand that you know, when, you, when you work, in, public, when you work in, in government, in public service, you are a public servant. And you know, yes, there's the day job and go in and do your work, but the answer is you are serving the citizens of Pennsylvania in some way, shape, or form, and you need to take that seriously. And just like you're an officer going through the line – it's not about your title. Oh, I'm junior warden this year. Oh, I'm senior warden. Oh, I'm master. No. You're there to serve the lodge. And with that, with that title, it's really not a title. It's a responsibility to the members of your lodge. Just like you as a manager, when you're a supervisor, you have a responsibility to your people to make sure that they have the tools to do their job have the guidance to do their job effectively. And when they need to say something and get something off their chest, you give them the opportunity to walk into your office, close the door, say what they need to say, and let them walk out. But as a Mason, you are in charge, you know, the lodge is in your charge. You know, and it's wonderful to actually go back and listen to the ritual and to, to hear those words and not just to hear them because you had to memorize them to pass school of instruction, but to actually internalize those words where the lodge is in your charge. Well, you know, for our lodge, that's, you know, 400 plus members that you're responsible for. Almost 600. Almost six. It was almost 1,000 when we merged. How many right. paid their dues? <laughs> All of them All have of paid them. their dues. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but I mean, seriously, and, and, I, and I don't mean to, to be glib about that, but, you know, you had a responsibility to the lodge, and even yes. as a past master, you have a continued responsibility to the lodge to model the correct behavior for every member in that lodge and for every new member that's coming in, because we are links in that chain. Yes, we are. You know, and you know, you can talk about, you know, because in Freemasonry, it's very simple. We are links in that chain, and you know, we I know we make jokes about that's how we did it in 1942. We haven't changed the format of our notice, <laughs> you know, since 1928. We haven't changed the printer since 1928. <laughs> exactly. It takes you know, an act of the Grand Lodge to do yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. You know, and continuity is a fantastic thing. But it's also, you can't be afraid to innovate as long as you're innovating the right way and it's coming from the right place. You know, and you talk about, 
know, we have this long chain of, you know, past masters on the wall. There's also a management chain. You know, I, I, you know, I can tell you every good manager I've ever worked for. And as a, as a manager of people, you try to make sure that when you make decisions around how to handle yourself as a manager and make decisions, I still think about, hey, does my former boss, John, would he think, would he think well of this decision or this course of action? Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm still a reflection on guys who trained me as a manager of people. Just like we are a reflection of those mentors we had in the fraternity. You know, and I want to make sure that as we mentor people ourselves, we understand that we are taking the rough surfaces of those ashlers, making them a little bit smoother, but also humble enough to know that we ourselves are being smoothed a little bit every year, and we should be smoothed every year that we're walking the planet. God, this is getting serious. How about that? It is. Hey, you asked for this. Uh, Larry you asked, said before we came Larry, on the air, find a way to make this Masonic, and I just cued that up for you, you, Larry. Well, so if you haven't figured it out, Larry, I'm... I'm Next time, shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> We've tried. We keep missing. Yeah. In all... I do have I do have a lighter side, but in, in all... I take being a Mason very, very seriously. You know, I mean, to a point where... As soon as the license plate went onto my car, I had to realize that I'm actually a rolling billboard now for the fraternity. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, speeding. Doug, Doug Serious Freemasonry reminds me of when I met Doug and I came to his lodge to do Masonic Jeopardy in the most solemn and serious <laughs> manner while he was Worshipful Master, covering for Tom LeBaugh, if I recall correctly. With my with my oh. beautiful co-host George Heinzen, who who was my Vanna White that night. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Anyways, Lord. Larry George. had something. That's oh. a bad. Oh my. Okay. Gosh. Can I can yeah. I just can I just say that was an experience. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it was, since we have great, since no. we have delved into the Masonic realm here, yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your Masonic journey and what I would really like to hear just a few moments of because I've heard this from you before, but I think it's important. Um, you came from the West Shore side mm-hmm. of the Eureka West Shore merger. Yeah. And you experienced something in that with the merger. He was chairman of the merger committee. He was actually not? chaired That's the a merger. really tough job. Oh. Exactly. But I want yeah. to I want to talk about what you experienced when what made that merger actually work. But talk about your Masonic oh, sure. journey in general yeah. first. Sure. So um I would say I've always had a you know passing interest in the fraternity or curiosity is probably the better word for it. Um, And I ended up in a job where I had a bunch of retired guys working for me as valet drivers at the old LB Smith Jaguar. And we were talking one time and I saw one of them had a Masonic ring on and I asked some questions and he was like, I really don't know too much, but I can find somebody who does. And the next day he came to work, he brought a petition. (laughs) <laughs> i was like so Good so man. what's this and he went well it's it's kind of like the cost of learning what you, you know having those questions answered and i was like oh, okay i'm game so i joined west shore lodge you know number 681 in camp hill pennsylvania and i didn't realize side note i didn't realize it was 681 because abraham c Trichler is 682 that's right so that, that's a fun tie-in my, my home lodge <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely and uh We'll get to another E-Town thing. Because when I was a kid growing up, I grew up actually right outside of Elizabethtown. Mm-hmm. And I remember riding my bike as a kid on the grounds of Masonic Villages. Oh, wow. In E-Town. 
So I've always known about, you know, the guys with the really cool stone buildings. We did have good stone buildings. We got some cool stone buildings in E-Town. We all do. Right, all right, back to West Shore. But that's back to West Shore. So I get to West Shore. I joined the fraternity. And like any young guy, you know, I felt like I was, you know, set upon by a pack of hyenas and put into a chair pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pretty, Fresh meat. Fresh. No, you made eye contact. I, I, I made that's eye contact. Right. And I, got, I, got, there. I got pressed into service and ultimately was master in 2011. And... When I was master in 2011, I looked, you know, you're looking for the future, right? You're trying to figure out, okay, who's going to follow me the next year? And by the summer of 2011, I went, oh, boy, we're in trouble, guys. Um, We didn't have a lot of guys. We actually had one person who was certified maybe in one or two degrees, one degree. Um, I had made a promise to my wife that I was not going to do two years in the East. Um, After going through the chairs, you know, we had had that conversation. And I called a meeting of the past masters in summer of 2011 and said, look, guys, I can't do a second year. And I don't feel comfortable putting any of the guys in line behind me in the East because they're not certified. They're not qualified to lead the lodge. We have to merge. I said, we have a lot of great qualities as a lodge. One of them is not members. So started a merger committee. I was chair of the merger committee. We found a past master, you know, who... Thank goodness he ended up doing his third tour in the East uh, to be master in 2012. And we started looking for common ground for a merger. And probably one of the best stories I can tell about Freemasonry is we had a meeting with the past masters of 681, the merger committee, and a group of past masters from 302. And I kind of went through my spiel about you know, here's where we're at. Here's why we're having this conversation. This is why we asked for a meeting with the past masters of, of 302. And Walt Daniel stood up, past master of 302. Who is like the voice of God in Eureka 302. He's, 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 he's the, the tone setter, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he stands up maybe 15, 20 minutes into this meeting and basically makes the comment, and I'm going to paraphrase, of, well, you know, we're not perfect either. And it seems that where you're strong, we're not. Where we're not strong, you are. And the right thing to do is to find a path forward together. And we need to make a fi- we need to figure out a way to make this work as a merger. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, we're home. We found some guys who actually listened to the third degree. You know, who can use the trowel to spread the cement of brotherly love. And I thought, boys, we're home. And a long-serving past master who remembered that. Yeah. That, that was the magic of that merger. And, you know, I think from that meeting on, it took us, what, two, three months? Maybe. To hammer out terms of merger and to, to hammer out a new bylaws. You know, it was the... There was never an argument in that merger process, you know, and it took Walt's leader, and I'll be eternally grateful to Walt for that, for showing that type of leadership to stand up in front of a group of, you know, guys he really never met, but knew they were brothers, and to stand up in front of his group of past masters and say, boys, we're going to make it, we're going to figure out a way to make this work, you know, and I think we had a, and still to this day, none of us, I mean, of course, you know, we, we know where we came from, if you will, pre-merger. But from the point in time that we merged those two lodges, 
we're all 302 guys. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you know? it's a, appropriate that you're wearing a Eureka West Shore 302 Pass Master shirt. It's not, I was a Pass Master of 681 who mer- merged into 302. I'm a Pass Master of 302. 302. That's how you identify. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think that, you know, when I had to make the pitch as merger chair inside 681, because, you know, you have to go through all the votes, right? And I said, guys, this is not about me. This is not about anybody in this line. This is about making sure that the members of our lodge have access to a vibrant and sustainable version of Freemasonry in central Pennsylvania. For the record, Larry's phone is going off again. Dun, 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 dun. Again. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, and I said, look, guys, this is about making sure our members who want to have access to a vibrant Freemasonry have access. And the best way to do that is to merge these two lodges because we actually complement each other very, very well. And I think, you know, the last 10, 11 years have just been proof positive of For sure. of what you can do when you got past masters who are willing to lead and lead on the right principles. That and mes- coming, message was from Jack Harley letting us know when we leave the building because he thinks maybe we're out already. And yeah, no, this is too good. This is too good. We're having a good time. But I, I do want to say, yeah, though, I mean, that being someone who was a member, I was down the line still. Well, you were an officer, right? I was an officer, but I wasn't. Yeah. I was still down the line a few, few spots Young, green, then. Timmy Deadman. Yes. Little Timmy working his way through the line. I, I was actually force, fortunate enough. This was, be, this was before he was the Timmy Deadman. <laughs> the secretary. The, um, I was actually the year of the merger. I was the year, you know, running into the merger. I was actually senior deacon, so I was actually the oh, okay. first elected junior warden of the merge, of lodge. The merge lodge. And so, um, anyway, yeah. But being on that side of it, I will tell you that literally from the first meeting on, you could walk into our lodge on any day. And there is no way in the world you would ever be able to determine who was 302 previously and who was 681 previously. Now, we're 11 years in, and so now nobody knows anything different. Mm -hmm. But um, 11 years ago, two meetings in, you couldn't tell that difference. And I know that's something that I appreciated and we appreciated, and I think that that's something that has enabled us to continue to grow and to be, oh, yeah. quite frankly, one of the preeminent lodges in central Pennsylvania. Uh, and, you know. Has anybody told you that humility is one of your strong suits? Tim? Exactly. <laughs> no. But uh, I also know a good yeah. thing when I see it. It is. And, I, I, you know, it was one of those things where you could only hope mm-hmm. that things turned out that way. Because, you know, when you're going through a merger, you know, you, you hear horror stories. Right. You know, you, you just hear horror stories. And, you know, two things crossed my mind about that. One is, you know, geez, I hope that doesn't happen to us. And number two, I kind of scratch my head and go, well, why is this a problem? Did they, do they not read the charges? Do they not, have they not, you know, listened to the stuff that we talk about in the degree work? This shouldn't be an issue. Right. You know, and then you find out it's because you got a group of past masters that don't have their head screwed on straight. Yeah. And, and you just, you, you kind of go, well, that's a shame. Right. Two quick points before yeah. our last break. First of all, the irony in the merger. Oh, this is beautiful. So you, West Shore Lodge number 681 was warranted and constituted in 1915. And the vast majority of the warrant members 
were 302 guys. Because, you know, Mechanicsburg in 1915 was a little bit of a, little bit of a hike from Camp Hill. <laughs> the old-fashioned Spite Lodge. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, Just tease. Maybe. maybe. And the other thing, I want to acknowledge another, what I think is an incredibly successful merger. None other than our own Lamberville. Um, of the Lamberton Lodge and Millersville Lodge uh, that we have a strong majority here in the uh, studio. And there are four of us here tonight. And who is the uh, the chair of one side of that merger committee? I have no idea. Larry? One of the Larrys. One of the Larrys. One of the Stooges. (laughs) Yeah, I've been listening to these two, Tim and Doug, (laughs) talk about we didn't do anything like that. They had all these past masters on their committee. We had one, you. Right. And it was myself and Ben who were business people. Now, on the Howell side, they had three past masters. Mm-hmm. But it went very, very well. Well, that's only because we had been working together long before the merger. Many, many, helping many Helping do years. the chairs yes. and the different chari- yeah. the charity events yeah. we did. It was, a, it was a love event. It was yeah. very It was natural. Easy. And... Grand Lodge did mention to us indirectly that it was one of the smoothest, best mergers they've ever had. Yes. Yeah, after so ours. you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this wasn't that easy from what I understand. It wasn't. But there are, and you're right, there are lodges <laughs> in Pennsylvania that are like, it's, it's a bloodbath to merge. Right. Yeah, and, they, and, and they're in the same and building. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't <laughs> and, and, be. And realize how lucky you are to have a lodge to merge with, period. Yeah. There, there's oh, a lot yeah. of jurisdictions where the next closest lodge is 90 miles away. So this concept of I'm going to merge 90 miles from my home lodge, they don't even have an option. Right. So to have an option of like-minded brothers to come together is really a blessing in and of itself. I mean, well, it's, let's face it. Central Pennsylvania is kind of a... We, we are very lucky. We, are we don't blessed. realize how lucky we, we are. are incredibly yeah. blessed in so many ways masonically. Larry yeah. Griffin, yeah. you had something you wanted to say. As the oldest past master that was involved with the merger between, I guess, Miller's Even, even older than Larry? Older than Larry? Yeah. Well, Larry's not a past oh, master. We're the same age, actually. Well, <laughs> wow. Burn, I got you back a bunch, but I was past master long before you uh, that, came to Lancaster. Well, that's right. Oh, okay. But I've been a mason no, no. Longer, longer serving past master. Longer serving past master. Oh, okay. Nobody's older <laughs> than Larry. And, and I, by the way, let's collar's, tease, the collar's been thrown. Let's tease, let's tease a future uh, bit that we're going to do here on the podcast. Wait, wait. Larry has the word of the chair, though. Both Uncola, that's true, I do. Both Uncola and myself. Are forty nine years? We next year we're fifty. Yeah, fifty years is amazing. I'll be fifty, 50 years and fifty years next year. Both of us. Years. Going to yes. get that pin. But I was not pin. actually. That's I fantastic. Admit, I was not actually in favor of the merger to start with. I didn't think it was necessary mm-hmm. because my grandfather was a member of L- Lamberton Lodge four seventy six, and I just thought we should be able to make it on our own. But we did work with uh, Millersville. And I actually live closer to the Millersville Lodge than I do to the Lamberton Lodge. Uh, and as things went along, and I convinced it's him. probably the best thing we could have done. That's true, Larry. Yeah. That's W, Larry. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, there's not much else I can say That's that really it was probably the, the smartest, wisest thing that we did uh, was to go through with that, although I was not part of that committee at all. 
No, you weren't. You weren't asking. But they me. put they're putting me to work. Sorry, uh, I'm you know, sorry, the Larry. New, yeah. The new building. Yeah. So. No, Josh didn't ask yeah. you to be on the, the Grim Reaper of Lamberton. But you know, there. I think were you Master Josh? You know, he's known as he's known as Josh Lamberton Killer. I'm the Lamberton Killer. He's the Lamberton Killer. So okay, but but I think what Larry Griffith just said is incredibly important. It is. Yeah. Someone who initially on the surface was opposed to something, yeah. who a couple of years later has been able to sit back and go, oh, my. It was the best thing we could have done. This is the best thing we could have ever done. And the conversation that we've just had for the last 15 or 20 minutes here about this is something that I hope that Masons and Masters Mm -hmm. and Lodges all across this country, because let's face it, you know, the heyday of Freemasonry coming probably around the 1960s, you know, post-World War II, you mm-hmm. know, that era, those days are long gone in terms of the numbers of men that are coming into our fraternity. Do we need to do a better job of getting guys to come in? Absolutely. Sure. But th- we are going to continue to see this fraternity constrict and get smaller for a period of time. Um, but it's going to take the kind of men like you are that you just described, Larry Griffith, who can say, okay, I really wish my original lodge, my mother lodge, if you will, could survive, but recognizing there's actually a better way. Freemasonry, mm-hmm. I'm a Freemason, and it doesn't matter whether my number is 102 or 694 or whatever the number is. And Freemasonry is Freemasonry regardless of a name or a number. Oh, yeah, it's beyond those four walls. Correct. Oh, amen. The lodge is in a building. Correct. 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 Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take our final break of the night, and we will come back with our romper room shout-outs, and then we'll close out tonight's episode. You have a good day today, friends. I did. Wait. You know what time it is? Time for me to see the friends at home in the magic mirror. Romper bomper, stomper boo, tell me, tell me, tell me do. Magic mirror, tell me today, did all my friends have fun at play? All my friends had fun today. I see David's having a special day. And I see Mark L. Rosignol from Cotter Lodge number 297, Liberty Lodge number 300, and Craftsman Lodge number 314 in the Grand Lodge of Nebraska. Whoa, this guy has some heavy dues to pay. Uh, the legions of demon are everywhere. Dumbo. The Dumbo commands you. That's Ben Kaminsky. I also see Thomas Fraley listening from Bluestone Lodge number 338 in Halstead, Pennsylvania. Chris Sova from Joppa, Winona number 315 from the great mitten state of Michigan. Greg Hess who we shouted out before from Armstrong Lodge number 239 in Freeport, Pennsylvania. Doug Butkus from Lodge Heister, uh, Isaac Heister number That's 600. Heister. Isaac Heister. 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 Sorry. Magic Mirror. You've done me wrong. Number 660 in West Reading. Uh, Steve Myers from Maru Grotto in Lafayette, Indiana. Hunter Clotter. Ooh, that's a big name. Clotier. Clotier. Uh, from Minnesota, yeah. uh, current master of Forest Lake Masonic Lodge number 344. 
and our good friend Rick Kellinger. Oh, that's my guy. From my own lodge of Eureka West Shore Lodge number 302 and Larry. Yes, Seneca, South Carolina. He's with the uh, EWS 302 Southern Floating and Mobile RV Annex, whatever that is, in Seneca, South Carolina. And, of course, I have a lot of experience in Seneca, one of my favorite places to visit when I lived in Greenville, South Carolina. I said, and I sent him a note. I said, I love Seneca. Spent a bunch of time there when I lived in Greenville. And he said that we're on Lake Kiowa. He's a beds and burgers and boat rides and then bourbon and cigars, my kind of guy. And he said, anybody wanting to visit, let him know. He'll be there. And uh, he's looking for some recommendations for a local lodge to visit, I think, when he comes up here. so Actually, Larry... He is from here. He oh. just moved to Seneca. That's the guy that, that's our buddy. That's our buddy. Oh, man, he moved That's to why Seneca. he said the Southern Floating and Mobile Annex of Eureka oh, West Shore 302. Now Maps I know who hard. you are. We love you, man. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man, Seneca. A couple of other quick shout outs to Steve Shemp, Daryl Ziner, and Ryan Parsons, who's a member in District 7. And we'll mention your event here in a moment. Seth, you've got a couple shout-outs. Yeah, I, I want to shout-out to a guy who, uh, if you're a Reddit user, you might know him as Cook SLC on Reddit. But a guy I've come to greatly respect, uh, past Grandmaster of Utah, Glenn Cook, who's been at the World Conference of Grandmasters in Jerusalem the last several days. That sounds really important. It, it, uh, Glenn, we need to have you on the show at some point. But uh, he and I have been going back on some AMD stuff. He happens to be chairman of the Board of General Purposes of the Allied Masonic Degrees. And he's been giving me live updates from the World Conference of Grandmasters, and today he said 70 Grand Lodges agreed on the same thing. Oh my gosh. What? I don't, I don't know how it's possible. Was it to possible. adjourn? I, it was okay. not to adjourn. <laughs> okay. So Glenn, we need to have, a, have you on the show to tell us what 70 Grand Lodges could agree on, because that is a momentous oh, wow. moment. That's amazing. That is. That's <laughs> amazing. amazing. So a couple of shout-outs here that people left us. The 7th Masonic District in Pennsylvania is hosting a casino night on Saturday, June the 3rd at the West Reading Masonic Center. You can look online and find more details about that. Um, I know uh, the Valley of Reading is having their very first steak and cigar event on Sunday, June 4th. Um, don't go to their website because it has the wrong date. It's on Facebook, though. And it shows that it's the reservations are closed, but if you go to their Facebook page, they do have an event there. Uh, showing that and then there's one other we'll talk about that one at the end because i got to look it up um oh i know what it is the widow's sons um the guy down at mozart lodge in philadelphia asked me to, to announce they've got a bike ride coming up so go to their website and to the facebook page to find out details about that upcoming event seth you've got something saturday august 19th the in gathering of allied masonic degrees in pennsylvania at mechanicsburg lodge the home of eureka west shore man we're getting a lot of talk 302 tonight, aren't we? T- uh, tonight. I-, I originally it's put that event good. together but it's now uh, vince cruciani's problem as new grand superintendent of central pennsylvania will be doing royal arc mariner work that day so uh if you're an amd member and willing to travel to pennsylvania in june on the 19th of august let me know all right larry what do you got going on masonically the next couple weeks uh tomorrow night i'm speaking uh, at the nice templar uh lodge in uh, lebanon pennsylvania that'd be a commandery larry commandery thank you (laughs) it'll be over with before this episode comes out i'm not a night templar but (laughs) we can uh, fix that you can fix that i know yes uh, and uh, Goose and Gridiron, of course, tomorrow morning as well. 
a lot of tall seder stuff going on, so I don't even want to get involved with talking about that tonight. But anyway, that's that's what I've got going on. Seth. So looking ahead at Ye Olde Calendar, this coming Saturday is a f- another full day at Eureka West Shore Lodge, number 302. We've got uh, we've got Royal Rock Mariners and AMD and Aaron Council of Knight Masons, which I'm involved in all of those. And then on the 20th of May, we have a reunion at the Valley of Reading. So if you're Scottish Rite Basin in central Pennsylvania or, or thereabouts, uh, let me know. We'll get you hooked up with the Valley of Reading. Doug. So Friday, stated meeting. Valley of Harrisburg, Scottish Rite. It will have already happened Happened. by the time this episode comes out. When we talk, is there bingo? But that's right. No, no no bingo. Installation of officers. Yes. Uh, So next week, we'll be out next week. Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. Well, hey, talk about it. District three past masters dinner uh, down at the Carlisle Masonic Center. Yep. So great night. It's always great to be around a bunch of past masters. And then after that, uh, actually the next night, I'll be handing out our lodges scholarship award. We have a scholarship winner. Um, I won't announce it Don't but spoil it. i won't spoil it for the winner but you know that's actually one of the coolest things i do for the lodge every year is i'm the scholarship chairman and i actually um you know we go through the process select a winner and i get to go out to a local high school and, and hand out a scholarship or two every year so that's this next thursday and then um my goodness i think that's really about it until our stated meeting but i'm going to be in south carolina during our we stated look meeting. forward to having you at the next stated meeting of perseverance chapter number 2021 20, royal arch masons which is first monday he can't come because it's our stated meeting, our which he's going to miss because he's out of town. I'm out of town. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a tactical error, but we'll we'll fix it. Larry Hudson. Well, if you like barbecue chicken, and who doesn't like barbecue chicken? Millersville Lodge, four seventy six is going to have on Saturday, uh, May the twentieth, between ten a.m. and two p.m. Um, barbecue chicken. The dinner is thirteen dollars, and that includes a very delicious half chicken, potato, applesauce. Roll and drink. So I invite everyone to come out. Be worth the trip, believe me. Mm-hmm. Larry Griffith. And if I had uh, some tickets, four tickets, because uh, the, another Larry here has said he would like four tickets uh, for the uh, half meals. Because uh, I can't stand the damn baked potatoes. They, they can't. The, uh, he doesn't care oh, for the baked potatoes. Just give you the, just give you so, the chicken. Just oh, and that's stuff is at Kissel Hill. The, it's carbs, chicken. Larry. Give me the chicken. It's carbs. For all, Chicken's good. I really did like what we talked about tonight. The there are so many ways that you can help out with different uh, auxiliary groups. Uh, but for everybody, find a charity that you can help out with. And if you don't have one, do what uh, Pete did. Start your own. Yeah, uh, he there started his yeah, own. Uh, and it has turned out to be a great help for uh, our local uh, mm-hmm. horses and dogs that are working with the police department. So there's all kinds of things out there that you can help with. Mine personally is with the uh, Lancaster's uh, Children's Dyslexics uh, Center. I help out with that. Everybody here probably is helping out with one or more. Yep. So try to do your thing. Great. Thanks for joining well, us. Great advice. Joshy. Uh, I think I might try to make it out to uh, Steffi's for oh, the for uh, Grotto. For Grotto. Steffi's Neverland Ranch. You yep. may be the official Masonic Light podcast representative there. I know. That's yeah. great. Flamethrowers and turtles. It'll be a good yep. time. Yep, yep. What could go wrong? Are you a turtle? <laughs> you bet your sweet ass I am. <laughs> All right. Oh, speaking of turtles, we, yeah. made, we made turtles. 
Yeah, we have to. We might have to confer that degree after we're done here. Tonight. Here, here. So, all right. So, I have coming up Harrisburg Council Number Seven next Monday. Royal and Select Master Masons. Royal Select Master Masons. Uh, next Tuesday on the sixteenth, uh, Carlisle Lodge will be hosting our Right Worshipful Grand Master Jeffrey Wonderling. Yes. Um, and then the aforementioned District Three Past Masters Dinner, which is always a great hit. Uh, and those of you who aren't in District Three should ask questions about how you do something as cool as this. Um, and then on the nineteenth and twentieth, uh, which is next Friday and Saturday is the reunion of the big valley of harrisburg so if you want to see some really cool degree work uh come see us he leaned um, in on that one yeah, so, so, he someday did. we'll figure out how to make harrisburg and Reading not be on the we same really day. do someday we really jeff do. moyer this is your notice here you go there's <laughs> teeing it up all right and, and they told me one night a month only there you go the big lie in oh, Freemason. the big lie that's right <laughs> All right. What a great episode. Thank you guys for uh, coming in. Uh, the other two Larrys thought they were going to get to just come and watch, but uh, here, here. nobody comes here without getting put to work. So uh, thanks to you all. Jack, wherever you are, safe travels. Um, Josh, I think it's time to release the chickens and let Larry get us out of here. Larry. Special thanks to Everton Lodge 665 for allowing us to continue to record in this beautiful studio that was provided by many good people. To Josh Lamberton, our producer-director. Jack Harley, our news director. I want to talk to you about Jack. You can't. We're done. We, we, we haven't had a newscast for a long yeah, we need time. Wrap con- it up, Larry. We need to contact up. Walter. Yeah. Focus. Tim Dedman, our marketing director. To Michelle Snyder, Doug Maddenford, Austin Schifrin, Masonic Life. Hey, you got it right. You got that right tonight. Well done. And I, I, I want to close with one thing. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Groan. This is Larry Bears. Thanks for listening. Hopefully the sensors will grab that. Please. This is Tim. Wow. Hey. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.